Hi there, and welcome to another episode of A Light Unto My Path podcast. I'm your host, uh, Howard Sides. Today we're beginning a new section in our study of the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 4. Um, basically what we're going to do today is pre-chapter 4. And I'll kind of talk about that when we get into it. Uh, the book of Revelation is divided into four parts. And I'll give you those four parts if you want to go ahead and write those down. That way so you'll go ahead and know them. Uh, the first part is uh, basically covering chapter 1. Chapter 1 is uh, the visions of God. The visions of God, which is the whole of chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. Then you have uh, the second part, part two, uh, the visions of grace. And that's from chapter two, verse one, all the way through chapter three. That would be chapter three uh, down to verse 22. These are the visions of grace. And that is basically the seven letters to the seven churches. That's what we have uh, just completed in our study of the book of Revelation. Uh, the third division begins in chapter 4, and it contains the bulk of the book of Revelation. Uh, starts in chapter 4, verse 1, and goes all the way through uh, chapter 20, which the end of that would be verse 15, chapter 20, verse 15. This is the section called Visions of Government. Visions of Government. And then the final section would cap, uh, cover chapters 21 and 22, which is the end of the book of Revelation. And this would be titled, The Visions of Glory. The Visions of Glory. So today we're going to uh, begin this next section here, in uh, the beginning of chapter 4, The Visions of Government. And I uh, entitled this, uh, just to be a simple title, What Happens When I Die? What happens when I die? And for our text, we'll use the very first part of chapter 4 to signify something's changed. Something's changed. And if we read there, it says, after this. At this what? After what? After the introduction. Uh, he's instructed when to write in chapter 1, verse 19. If you go back and read that, chapter 1, verse 19, he says, write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. What is seen, what is said, and what is shown. So that's the three things. So after this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Okay, so all of verse 4 is indicating that there's been a change. And as we start in this section of the study of the book of Revelation, you'll notice that for a little while we talk about things that are taking place on earth, and then for a little while we'll be talking about things that are taking place in heaven. And then uh, we'll be discussing some things that are going on in the underworld. 
And so basically from that, we gathered that there are three realms uh, that uh, we are pretty much introduced to. Three realms, heaven, earth, and the underworld. And we'll talk a little bit about that. And, and I wanted to kind of give you a, uh, a little glimpse. Um, and, and I think this is part of the reason that he, uh, the book of Revelation is a little intimidating to many Christians. A lot of them really don't know uh, exactly what's going to happen. And it's, it's very clear. We have the knowledge. The Bible tells us exactly what's going to happen. It may not tell us exactly when it's going to happen, but we do know what's going to happen. Or even, uh, in a lot of cases, how it's going to happen. And, and so I wanted to take a moment here before we actually break down uh, chapter 4 and get into what's being said here, this verse 1, it, it, it's very symbolic and indicative of an event uh, that is still in our future. And of course, I'm talking about the rapture. The word rapture uh, itself is not used in the Bible. It is a word that we've kind of started using to define an event uh, that is uh, mentioned in several places in the Bible. Uh, we know that Jesus ascended. Uh, we know the book of uh, Thessalonians talks about, you know, taken up uh, and, and that sort of thing. There's different uh, descript descriptive terms for a rapture, uh, but the word rapture itself is not in the Bible. So you, if you're looking up the word rapture, you won't find it. Okay? So basically we're going to take and just kind of delve into this question. What happens when I die? Now, now there's a simple answer to that. Uh, the simple answer would be this. If you're saved, you're going to heaven. If you are not saved, you're going to hell. But there's a lot more to that, uh, uh, such as the when, the time frame. What about people who died in the Old Testament? Uh, what about people who died during the life of Jesus. What about people who died after Jesus and and that sort of thing? And, and that's uh, it, it. It's it's a lengthy study in, in that there's a lot of terminology, um, some terms that are used in the Bible. We're going to break them down. I'll give you the Hebrew definition of them and, and try and explain it as easy as I can, and, and just kind of grasp uh, this this definition of death, of eternal life and how that affects us, uh, what happens to us when we die. Um, and of course, I, I think we're far enough alone. Um, many people agree, uh, although we don't know when the rapture is going to exactly take place, uh, we do feel that it's very imminent. It, could, it, it certainly could happen any day. Uh, from the day Jesus Christ raptured, uh, he, see, he said to be ready. And it's been over 2,000 years or somewhere around 2,000 years since that event took place. So, uh, And we're coming up in that season of Easter. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and just kind of, uh, hopefully I can break it down simply enough that you can grasp an understanding. I encourage you to take notes, uh, look this stuff up and get a better uh, knowledge, understanding of it uh, for yourself and and investigate. That's, that's what... God wants us to do with his word. The more time we spend in it, the more he'll speak to us, the more he reveals things to us. So it becomes easier to understand for each individual in our own personal studies, okay? 
Okay, I mentioned just a minute ago, there are three realms uh, that we're going to break down and, and we'll be t uh, looking at. Uh, the first, of course, is heaven. Uh, heaven. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 2, Paul says, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. Now, a lot of people think that Paul is basically talking about himself here. He's not describing someone else that he knows, that, but that this was Paul that he's talking about. Now, we know that heaven uh, is broken up into three parts. There is the first heaven, the second heaven, and the third heaven that he mentions here, such an one caught up. And that caught up is the phrase that usually refers to a rapture. Uh, it, it's a, the term used to describe the rapture, but, but there's many raptures. And, and we'll get into that in a little while, too. Uh, but let's describe these uh, to give you an idea of what we're talking about. Okay, the first heaven. The first heaven, heaven is the atmosphere surrounding the earth. Uh, it's the different spheres, the stratosphere, the ionosphere, and all the other spheres. Okay, <laughs> I don't know the technical terms for all of the spheres, but there's many of them out there. There's different levels to it. But it's that atmosphere directly surrounding the earth. That's the first heaven from where the birds fly all the way up. Uh, the second heaven is what we describe as outer space. That's where our galaxy is, where the other planets are. That's where the other galaxies and the other um, star systems, all of that is. And then there is what is described for us as the third heaven. And this is actually the dwelling place of God and his throne. This is where we when we use the term heaven, are usually describing it is this third heaven. Okay, so that's the three breakdowns of what the definition heaven is. There's the first heaven, the second heaven, and the third heaven. All right, and now we come to the second part, which is the actual earth, the planet where we live. And that brings up a couple of questions that we'll ask as it relates to the planet earth. And hopefully we can uh, clarify this point and how it plays into this role. Uh, the first question you want to ask is why did God why did God create the earth? Why did God create the earth? Now Genesis 1 and 1 tells us right in the very beginning of the Bible, very first verse, very first chapter, very first book, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. There's no question of that. Uh, I know there's uh, the evolution theory, there's the Big Bang theory, there's many theories out there, and that's all they are, are theories. We don't know uh, what scientific method can define how God created the earth. Uh, after verse 1, it goes on to describe the creation of the earth and how God did it in seven days. Um, some people would try and say, well... You know, these days could be broken down into uh, periods of years, and that, and that allows for evolution. We're not making room in the Bible for the evolution theory to fit. When it says, in the evening and the morning was the first day, this describes a 24-hour period from the point of when the sun started going down to when the point of the sun came back up. 
And that's what we describe today. Our day begins in the morning and ends when the night becomes morning. Uh, in the Hebrew tradition, it begins in the evening, goes through the day to the night, and then begins again at the evening. So when it says the evening and the morning were the first day, that's why it says it that way. That's how they marked a full day, a 24-hour period in their day. It's a little bit different than the way we describe it. Now, Genesis 1-1 kind of uh, stands alone. And there's some argumentative things about uh, Genesis 1-1, Genesis 1-2, the gap theory, uh, these sort of things. We'll, we'll kind of get into that a little bit. I can't go into detail. I don't have the time. I I hope to, once we get through the book of Revelation, I'm going to start uh, back with Genesis and, and use some notes that I've got from uh, a man that actually puts a lot of video, uh, YouTube videos out. His name is Kent Hovind. Um he has some seminars that he basically goes out and argues against the theory of evolution, against teaching it in our school. Well, he doesn't, he's not against teaching it in the school, uh, but his argument is that if it is being taught, then creation should be taught as well. Um, so he, he, he does make that pretty clear. Um, there are some things that we differ on. One is about where this rapture takes place and things of that nature, but, but his, uh, Putting together the events in the book of Genesis is, is, is very in-depth. It's very knowledgeable. Uh, I would suggest to you to go and find those videos. It's very easy to find. Kent, K-E-N-T, Hovind, H-O-V-I-N-D. And uh, I think there are seven seminars. They're a couple of hours long each. Uh, he describes uh, dinosaurs, where they come from, where they fit into the Bible, all of that. But uh, that's a story for another time, I'm going to try and stick to this today. Okay, now having said that, Genesis 1-1, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And that's all it says. Now we know from that that God existed before that. Uh, some people like to try and wrap their brains around the theory of a timeline as to, well, how long was God around before he created? Uh, listen, I... You, it's some things our minds just can't comprehend. When you think of a timeline that God fits on, we think in a straight line. Uh, I've had it described that when you think of God in eternity, you have to think like a round ring. There's no beginning. There's no end. He always was. Now, we have to categorize and say, well, at some point, Earth had to begin. There had to be a time when Earth began yeah, in our timeline, but God has been forever. And will always be forever. So how, how you explain it? I, I can't. But anyway, in where it says that God created the heaven and the earth. Uh, some think that originally the earth was created and fit for habitation uh, with Lucifer put in charge of it. Now it was during this time that Lucifer made the statement that he did in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 through 14. I'll read that and kind of break it down. It's during this point. Some say this. Now, I'm not arguing that it is for a fact. Uh, I'm not saying that it couldn't fit. It, it certainly does fit. And I kind of lean that way that I think this is what happened. But I'm not going to put it in as saying that it's Bible doctrine. The Bible just says in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. That's what it says. 
But as you investigate some of the things that I, uh, Satan or Lucifer says and the events that follow and take place, uh, when you put them in line, in the timeline that we're talking about, that they do fit. So, uh, you know, make, you know, pray about it, make your own decision. But this is what he says in Isaiah 14, verses 13 through 14. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. Now, this is God talking about Lucifer saying this. For thou, Lucifer, hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. Ascend is to go up. Descend is to come down. So to go up, he had to be coming from somewhere below. Okay, so I mean, that kind of fits that he had to be coming from somewhere. Hell was not created yet. So it makes sense that maybe he was in another realm or another place that was considered below the heaven. And as the earth was created, of course, there were the heavens around it. And it says God created the heaven and the earth. So that fits the descriptive term that we use there, ascend in the heaven. Uh, he goes on, he says, I will, I, Lucifer, will exalt my throne above the stars, plural, stars of God. Now, stars is the Hebrew word kobab, K-O-W-K-A-B, kobab, if I'm pronouncing that right, which means a prince or other angels in charge. Princes is a descriptive term of angels of rank. There's there's different angels, different ranks, different job categories, princes, uh, principalities, uh, dominions. Those are all angels of a certain rank. Okay? And that's where he says, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Uh, he goes on and says, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Now, of course, this mount of the congregation uh, is describing a mountain of some kind in the sides of the north. Now, ancient Babylon had such a mountain, uh, and it was called, uh, if I'm pronouncing this right, M. Karsak, or Karsak Kura. M. Karsak, I-M-K-H-A-R-S-A-K. Or Karsak Kura is K H A R S A K dash K U R R A. So M Karsak or Karsak Kura. I, those names obviously mean the different. I didn't grab the definitions of them, but uh, Easton's Bible Dictionary gives the description of this mountain as such. And I quote uh, The mighty mountain of Baal, B E L, whose head rivals heaven, whose roots is the holy deep, uh, and which was regarded as the spot where the gods, plural, gods, had their seat. So it was a place of, unquote, and it, there was a place of worship there in some way. Now that does not say that while he was there, there were people present who were worshiping. Okay, all it's talking about is the amount of the congregation in the sides of the north, I don't know the definition for that word congregation as it pertains to where he's saying this when he makes his fall. Uh, but it doesn't fit that while he was there, there would have been humans there prior to what takes place next.
All right. Uh, verse 14. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Now, it was due to this sin in Lucifer's heart that God turned the created world of Genesis 1-1 into a ball of chaos without form and void. I, I mean, let's think about that a minute. God created the heaven and the earth. What would be the point of creating the heaven and the earth and then turn it into a ball uh, that is without form and void? Uh, it would it would make sense that some event, something happened to change things. I don't think, in my personal opinion, that God would have created something and then would have just trashed it out of his own. God is perfection. Why would he create something and, and then make it without form and void? Something had to affect that. And it was this sin of Lucifer. At least it's suggested that way. All right, now, this action could be the reason Satan claims that this world belongs to him and that he had the right and power to transfer the kingdoms of this world, which is his term, to Christ if Christ would only have acknowledged Satan's supremacy. Now, this takes place when Jesus was in the wilderness and Satan came to him and tempted him three times. And in that, during that temptation, uh, it's recorded, Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain. It doesn't say which high mountain. It could very well have been this very same mountain that he was talking about. Or a different one. I don't know. Uh, and it goes on there. Exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. And saith unto him. Satan said unto Christ, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Well, how could he give them if Satan didn't think they belonged to him? If he didn't have some kind of authority or control that had in some point in the history up to that point been put in his charge or some type of control. Um, now, a little more light is shed on this. Um, by God in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 28, uh, gives a little more definition on it. Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 11 through 19. All right, Ezekiel 28, 11 through 19. It says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. The king of Tyrus. This is a symbolic title of Satan, king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. And that term, basically Christ is saying, or God is saying of Satan, that he had the total package. Thou sealest up the sum. You had it all. You were full of wisdom, and you were perfect in beauty. What more could he have asked for? And it's describing him as Lucifer. A chief angel. It goes on, verse 13. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. Now, this term describes 
uh, Satan as Lucifer when he was the uh, chief angel. He was basically, I guess you'd call him the chief cherub. <laughs> um, and the reason I say cherub, we'll get into that definition, but he basically was in charge of guarding the throne of God. And that, that's the group of cherubims. You know, you have cherubims, seraphims, and all that. Uh, the cherubs uh, were in charge of guarding the throne of God. Um, now, in this description with all these precious stones, and then it says, in Eden, the garden of God, uh, we do know later on as Satan presents himself to Eden, he was in the form of a serpent. Now, we don't know exactly what he looked like as a serpent, like what color he was. Uh, of that nature, but we do know he did not present himself as Lucifer, the chief angel. He was a serpent. So this is describing him before events happened when he presented himself to Eve. So again, something had to happen where Lucifer became Satan. Lucifer changed into Satan. Okay. Uh, it continues the statement there. Uh, the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created created is a statement and a term only used of angelic beings and of adam god created the angels and god created adam and it goes on verse 14 thou art the anointed cherub that covereth now that hebrew word there is kakak that's c-a-k-a-k C-A-K-A-K, -A -K, and it means to protect, to defend, to guard against. Now, Lucifer, as the chief cherubim, was responsible for guarding the throne of God. Now, that statement presents us with two questions. First of all, number one, uh, what was Lucifer guarding the throne against? Now, remember, there was no presence of sin before the fall of Lucifer. So, why would he have to guard the throne? Verse 2, as the guardian, why was he allowed to go to earth instead of staying right by the throne? Okay, right? So if he's guarding the throne, why'd he go to earth? Now, it could be that as chief cherubim, as the chief, uh, he had others under his control that did the actual guarding. And listen, I spent time in the military, and I can tell you there, there's the chief of the watch, and then there's the ones who do the watching, basically the guards. Uh, the chief of the watch doesn't actually stand guard, but he's probably at a desk somewhere. And if something happens, then they call the ones doing the actual guarding, call the chief of the watch. So that, that's so as the chief cherubim, I, I think that's probably what it pertains to. We do know that Satan had angels under his control as Lucifer. Uh, and, and that's probably where the demons come from of today they are fallen angels the ones that uh were in heaven at one time that are not now we'll kind of describe that a little as we go on um but he goes on in that phrase and i have set thee so god is omnipotent and all-powerful god can do what he wants to if god needed lucifer on the earth um and and we don't know if god created the earth as like a reward or if God in his omnipotent power, he knew the thoughts of Lucifer and basically put him in a place where he could entertain these thoughts. Now remember, God gave Lucifer the option. He gave him 
the choice to choose to defy God. God did not force Satan to think these things, but he did allow it. God does allow us to make a choice. And, you know, a lot of times people say, well, you know, how could God let this happen? How could God let, let that happen? It's not about what God allows. It's in the fact of what we choose. That, that's the true definition. Well, how, why did we choose to do that? that? That's really the question that needs to be answered. And, of course, the answer to that is the sin in our, in our hearts. That, that, that's what it all boils down to. That, that's the simple exclamation of it all. Uh, the phrase goes, uh, or the um, scripture goes on. It says, Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Uh, now that phrase, stones of fire. Uh, some say it represents the actual seraphim. Uh, others say it depicts the very feet of the Lord, which are described as stones being precious jewels. Uh, don't really know what the definition of it is. It's, it's speculation at, at best. Maybe somebody's got a good definition for it out there, but I just gave you what some people thought it was. Verse 15, Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. Lucifer was perfect. He had it all. He was all. He was in charge. Uh, he had the run of things. Uh, what more could he want? Well, in the end, he wanted more. And, and that's pretty much what it is. I, I forget who, I think it was uh, uh, Howard Hughes. I think someone asked him in an interview one time. Uh, I think it was Howard Hughes. I may be wrong on that, but it was someone like a Rockefeller or Howard Hughes or something like that. And they asked him, said, how much money is enough? And the response was just one more dollar. Just one more dollar. <laughs> And there's no end to that, right? Okay. So uh, verse 16, by the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub from the midst of the stones of fire. I will that's an interesting term there. It does not say I did or I have. It says I will. These two terms, I will, refers to future judgment. Future judgment. And the re we have proof of that. If you go to the book of Job in chapter 1, verse 6, it tells us there specifically that Satan still has access to the mountain of God. He still has access to talk to God. All right, verse 17. Uh, thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will, there's that term again, cast thee to the ground. I will, very turning it, lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I, there's that term again, bring forth a fire from the midst of thee it shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. So here in the book of Ezekiel, we get a little bit more description of 
what took place, uh, how things happened, and what's going to be the end result. Now, that doesn't mean that it has happened yet, because I will is still future reference. So, <clears throat> uh, another question we ask. Is Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, a continual action, or did God actually remodel the earth? Now, the key verse to that may be later on in the chapter, in verse 28. Genesis 1, 28 says, And God blessed them, talking to Adam and Eve, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So let's talk about the key phrase here. Replenish the earth. Replenish the earth. Now there's a lot of people out there. I have family members who, who use this verse to support what is called the gap theory. To defend against evolution theories. That the earth is billions of years old based on fossilized remains. Um, as a short description of what that means, the gap theory says that between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, there was this long millions of year period where the dinosaurs came about, uh, Lucifer f fell, God passed judgment on the earth, killed all the dinosaurs off, and that describes why the bones they find now are millions of years old. Well, currently now it's billions of years old, so they've multiplied it. Uh, again, Kent Hoven argues against this fact very soundly, and I agree with many of the things. One of, one of the things I'll say about that is, is what they use to base an age of a bone, of a fossil that they find on, is called circular reasoning. Circular reasoning. Now, basically what that says, simply, and there's a much detailed term about it, but basically they dig into the earth and they find this bone in a rock. And they say, okay, based on where we found this bone in said rock, that based on the age of the rock, this bone must be this many years old. Well, to determine the age of the rock, they say, well, because this rock was found with this bone in it, and we know that this bone is this many years old, then this rock must be this many years old. So they're basically using the theory that the bone is this old because we know this rock is this old. But we know this rock is this old because we know this bone is this old. Does that make any sense to you? Doesn't make any sense to me. But but really, that that's what this whole thing of evolution theory is is standing on as as far as scientific proof and they'll use all kind of terminology and things of that nature uh, but anyway i won't get into it a lot i just i don't believe it i don't think that the gap theory has a credible feature in the bible it it does not make sense and i'll say why uh as we go on um but using that phrase, you got to use the phrase as is taken in a whole statement. Replenish the earth. It doesn't say replenish the population. 
uh, as it were pertained that when <clears throat> uh, Satan or Lucifer was here and was in charge that there was some uh, caveman running around with the dinosaurs. And when God passed judgment, they died off. Uh, and, and evolution says, well, you know, we can't find the missing link, but all these um, different, I don't remember the names of all of them, but all these other, you know, Lucy and all of these like ape-like creatures that they found that have over millions of years evolution has changed them to become what the human is today. That's their argument. But the Bible proves this is not possible. It's not possible. Because if this action were true, if the dinosaurs had lived when Lucifer was in charge before the void and all of that was taking place, then that would mean that death had to happen before Adam and Eve were placed on the earth. The Bible clearly tells us this is not so. Romans 5, 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now, right away, some would argue, well, that pertains only to humanity. Okay, that, that's slicing onions, I guess you'd say. Uh, but do you remember when Adam and Eve sinned, what did God do? It said he provided them clothing made out of fur. And that meant that an animal had to die. That's the presence of death right there. That was the first death that took place of, of, of an animal. And so he showed them that by the actions of their committing that sin, the death would have been placed on that animal. Also in our human nature, when we commit sin, we're automatically passed into that judgment. Death passed upon all men because we are now born as descendants of Adam and Eve. We are born with this judgment already on us. Okay, so death became necessary as the only acceptable payment for sin in the fact that blood had to be shed. Now, to have the blood, of course, death had to take place. Now, another question is, what about vegetation? Now, the reason for this term, replenish the earth, replenish the earth, could very well be what God is intending when he says to Adam and Eve to replenish the earth, because, of course, Adam's occupation was what? He was a farmer. He grew things. Of course, they had to eat, obviously, but uh, that replenish, re means put what was there before in simple definition. So he's putting back something. And I believe from that null and void when the judgment passed that some things had died off in nature, not animal kingdom, not in and in creatures with blood in them, okay? So I, I hope I'm getting that point across. So God gave the earth to be under the power and will of man. Psalms 115, verses 15 and 16 says, Ye are blessed of the Lord, which made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens, plural, are the Lord's. But the earth hath he given to the children of men. Now, basically, you could say that this was the very first birthday present. <laughs> Happy birthday, Adam. <laughs> uh, Satan is not in control of the earth. Now, he likes to argue the fact that he is, uh, but he's not. Now, think about this a minute. If Satan was in charge of the earth, 
uh, we would have natural disasters and diseases uh, on an epic scale, and they would eradicate us. Now, now we do have currently this whole coronavirus thing going on, uh, and we are told, I'll leave it at that, we are told uh, that it's killed hundreds of thousands. I'm not going to say that it hasn't killed people. I, I think it, it has certainly aided in killing people. And I think there have been some, I mean, people have died from the simple flu. And when I say simple flu, I just mean another term or another type of a flu. I think, and I know for a fact, uh, it's been reported many times that, that a lot of these hospitals uh, are taking people that come in, they are claiming that they test positive for COVID. Uh, they have serious heart conditions and they die of a heart attack and they claim that they died from coronavirus. Why would they do that? It's because the federal government is handing out close to something in the neighborhood of $5,000, $5,500 per case. Uh, doesn't take much to figure out why they're claiming their coronavirus deaths, okay? But anyway, I'm not going to get in that argument. I'll leave that alone. <laughs> All right. Okay, so we've covered heaven, we've covered earth. Now let's look at the underworld. The underworld. And, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, this is a big section uh, because there's a lot of working parts to it. So I think what I'm going to do, I'm going to stop right here um, because I'll certainly go over a one-hour timeline for sure. And I can only record one hour at a time. So um, the three realms, heaven, earth, and the underworld. We've covered heaven. There's three parts. First heaven, second heaven, third heaven, and then there's the earth. And then the third will be the underworld. And we'll pick that up next episode. And uh, if you want to mark it, we're going to be using as our reference uh, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. That's Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. And I will uh, hope to have you join me on the next episode as we continue this. I'm trying to, on purpose, I'm trying to be slow about this and and let the points soak in and not just jump over them and keep going and lose you. Uh, it is, it, there's a lot of parts to this and I, and I want you to have a clear understanding of, uh, of what is meant here. And, and I, I know a lot of people can't answer these questions, uh, that hasn't actually done the study and sat down and figured it out, um, studied it out. So that, that's why we're here. Um, it's like a simple Sunday school lesson, basically. That's what we're, that's what we're trying to do, trying to learn. And so we'll get into that next week or, next episode, whatever day that may be. Okay. All right. Thank you for joining me. Um, I hope you have a great day and continue as always to pray. Uh, pray for me, pray for each other, pray for those uh, others that are listening from around the world. Uh, again, last time I checked, there were uh, people from 11 different countries uh, listening to this podcast. Uh, that still just blows my mind. <laughs> I just, I just, I just can't understand it, but uh, it's not here about me. Uh, this is about God's Word, and I know there's people all around the world that really, truly want to know more about God's Word, and so we're here to help each other. That's what it's all about, okay? So again, thank you for listening, and have a great day. See you in the next episode.